Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We've got another great show today. Multiple NFL players getting new deals, but two key players in Minnesota don't appear to be getting new deals. Bill Belichick gives the Jets the middle finger. We'll continue to give out draft grades. Today, it's the AFC North, and we'll each make our picks for Offensive and Defensive Rookies of the Year. A lot to get to, but joining me to do so, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what's going on? Hey, Brad, man. Happy to be back. Happy to be back in the swing consistently of things. Coming off of a great pod last week, man. I, I've listened to it three times, and I think we're rocking and rolling. I love the new partnership, and I think we're looking at great things to come. I'm getting a lot of good feedback from PGF Nation. People are really supporting the show, loving the chemistry, loving what we've got going here. It's pint glass football, but with a remix, with a new twist. I love what you're bringing to this show, man. And I love recording these episodes. It's just been a blast, man. And there's so much to get to. Like I said today, a lot of great stories, a lot of great stuff to cover every week. It just gets more and more fun. I want to start with this story, though, Alex. CBS Sports is reporting that Chiefs running back Isaiah Pacheco apparently played last year's Super Bowl with multiple injuries, including a broken hand and a torn labrum. Now, Pacheco in that Super Bowl rushed for 76 yards and a touchdown on just 15 carries. What's interesting is just recently on this show, you had mentioned something about Pacheco should have got more carries in the Super Bowl. Now I think we know why. And now it kind of makes sense. Now that we've found out this story months later, that he was actually playing through some pretty serious injuries. This is a guy who was a seventh-round pick out of Rutgers. He rushed for over 1,000 yards, had six touchdowns last season. The Chiefs went 13-1 and when he was in the starting lineup. This kid brought an edge and a toughness to this Kansas City Chiefs offense that we just have not seen in the Mahomes era. Absolutely. Torn labrum, yes. Broken hand, let's talk about that. In a critical game, in a tight game, a broken hand where if the right hit, if you get hit correctly, you fumble that ball. So, And they still entrusted him with it. I'm sure at some point they started to dial it back, but still, you know, you're still carrying the ball 15 times. They need you on the field. You are doing damage throughout the entire game so that play action was also working. So to keep him in there and for the toughness of him to stay in there, I think earned him a lot of kudos with the team, earned him a lot of kudos with that organization as well. Man, you're not kidding. This kid is so tough. I think he just became my favorite player in the NFL, Alex. I mean, wow. seriously, wow. Okay. This, this story is so cool. I mean, this is the kind of stories that just make the NFL great. It's what makes this game so special. I've talked about it on other episodes. These guys playing through pain, playing through injuries, the level of passion and commitment to this game that we see week in and week out in this league and in college football for that matter as well. This sport, there's just nothing like it. Obviously, he's gone through surgeries now. From all reports I've seen, it looks like he's going to be ready to go for the regular season. But just what a warrior, man. What a tough kid. Patrick Mahomes said, quote, he'll be a main staple for this team for a long time. And I think he's right. Absolutely. And let's just talk about fantasy. Fantasy alert. Fantasy alert. This is a guy that you can probably get between the fourth and sixth round that you can put on your team that's going to be on the low end, but give high production. Man, that is a great point, Alex. And I think you can pencil him in right now for 1,200 yards, eight to 10 touchdowns, and he is going to be a fantasy home run. Yeah, and just to close that out, one of the signings that we didn't have on the docket, but that Donovan Smith, the left tackle they signed from Tampa Bay, they picked him up as well. So now you have Jawan Taylor at right tackle. You have Donovan Smith on the left tackle, Creed Humphreys, and Joe Tooney all on that line. 
that does set up for them to do a lot of damage and change the shape of what that offense and what we're accustomed to and making it a lot more balanced. I'd be interested to see the percentage that they run this year. Yeah, that's a great point. This story came out just recently. It exploded all over the internet. Bill Belichick gives the middle finger to the Jets on draft night. Reports have come out now that apparently in the first round of the draft, New England was on the clock with the number 14 overall pick in this draft, one spot in front of the rival New York Jets, who appeared to be targeting an offensive lineman. Now, all the reports have said they were targeting an offensive lineman, an offensive tackle in particular, with their selection. Instead of making a pick, the Patriots decided to trade down to number 17 with the Steelers, who were also in search of of an offensive tackle. Now, a GM that spoke to the New York Post said, quote, they should have had to give up a third-round pick and not a four to move up there. Belichick did it just to fuck the Jets. He sold low because he knew the Steelers were going to take the kid the Jets wanted to take. One other personnel executive also told the Post, quote, Bill will try to screw them over any chance he gets. He knew exactly what he was doing, end quote. This anonymous GM also said that the trade left the Jets scrambling, and quote, I think the trade totally blindsided them. Alex, what do you make of this story? Typical. I think to me, this is typical Bill Belichick. Uh, As we know, on January 4th, 2000, he did it to the Jets then. And I think he will continue to do that to the Jets. And one thing we have to say about Bill Belichick and and perhaps the brain trust that's around him. I I think there's a brain trust around him that's and a lot of people that deal in analytics around him as well. And then he takes and applies the manalytics to it, as I always like to say. And I think he looked at that. We saw that the the tea leaves were in the writing. We saw that they declined Makai Becton's fifth year. We know he's oft injured. We saw what they did in free agency not to to address it on a light end, but they were probably going to go into this draft looking where they were picking at 15, that somebody should have been there. And he said, you know what? The guy I want is probably still going to be there. They're not going to take Christian Gonzalez. So you know what? I'll move back. Even if Washington happened to take Christian Gonzalez, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't mind taking Emmanuel Forbes if that's what he wanted in a cornerback either way. So I'm pretty sure his draft board had Emmanuel Forbes and Christian Gonzalez won too. So he was fine either way. But to cause the Jets (laughs) to be depleted, the most prestigious tackle position on the offensive line. Hey, here's a middle finger to you. And how about that? And laugh now, cry later, (laughs) man. Yeah, you're not kidding. And it was savvy. And that's what Bill Belichick does. He's savvy. He obviously knows their, their rival is right there that he had the chance to stick it to him. And he did. And, and it worked out well for the Patriots. It didn't work out so well for the Jets. The Steelers end up benefiting from the trade, a team that we're going to talk about their draft later today. But incredible stories that comes out after the draft with all these GMs and these quotes. It was just something I thought we had to touch on here. I want to shift gears here to the Minnesota Vikings because they've got two key players here that it's starting to look more and more like might not be in the future plans for this team. And I want to start with Dalvin Cook, potentially out in Minnesota. Adam Schefter said, quote, I think there is some real question as to whether or not he will be in Minnesota this upcoming season. I think it's fair to say his future is in question Now, Dalvin Cook went to his fourth consecutive Pro Bowl last year. He rushed for over 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns, but he's on a five-year, $63 million deal. Cook also has a base salary that's expected to be at $10.4 million this upcoming season, which goes up to $11.9 million for 2024, then increases to $12.9 million for 2025. Now, I've seen some reports that teams such as the Dolphins, Rams, and the Bucks could have interest in acquiring Cook. I think this goes back to what we have always been talking about at running back. He has decent production. It's not high level, meaning like anywhere between 1,300 yards and up. It's decent production. And perhaps from a front office standpoint, they are evaluating and saying, hey, for the amount of money that we're paying, can we get similar type of production can we get it from the hard-hitting alexander madison who 
really just runs people over. I, I don't know how they view him in terms of maybe perhaps moving on and then having him start. And they also have Ty Chandler and they also have a, from Iowa State, Kenan Nganwe, I believe is how you pronounce his name. I just know that name because I use him a lot in Madden. But, <laughs> but the, the production and he's missed, you know, he's been fairly healthy, but he's missed. He hasn't played. This is the first time he's played a full season since he's been in the league. He's going to be turning 28. And, you know, 28 is that key year where they need to make some decisions. But furthermore, I think, what are we looking at if you're the Vikings front office? What does the next three years look like for you? When Justin Jefferson is going to be coming up for a deal and what are you going to do with that and where is your team going to be? And I think that's the, you know, I always say you need to look at things and put a CEO hat on. I think this is the Vikings putting a CEO hat on and looking at the team holistically and saying, where do we want to be in three years? And is will this guy be a part of our plan or can we move on and maybe make some improvements in other places, save some money here and so on and so forth. There's also, they're talking about Darius Smith as well as what Kirk Cousins as well and as well as Daniel Hunter. So there is a lot of, com- I know we're talking about Dalvin Cook, but there is a lot of conversation surrounding the future of the Vikings overall. Yeah, and I think for the price, I think that's really the key here, is I think the price is just too steep for a 28-year-old running back who's probably played his best football. They can probably replicate that type of production at a lower price tag. This team is just is starting to feel like is heading towards a rebuild. Now, you've talked about the Titans on recent episodes and how you feel like that is another team to watch for that could be in full rebuild here sooner than later. I'm starting to get that same vibe in Minnesota. And you touched on some of these key players, some of these veteran players. I think Minnesota is looking to get younger. I think they're looking to kind of rebuild this team at some key positions. I think it starts with Dalvin Cook. And I think the other key guy to look at here is Kirk Cousins. Now, he's set to hit free agency after the 2023 season. From the reports that I've read, offseason contract extension talks between him and the Vikings have appeared to stall. So, it was reported that Minnesota was trying to trade up in the draft to pick one of the top quarterbacks in this recent draft. Now, back in 2020, Cousins signed a two-year, $66 million extension through the 2022 season, then signed a one-year, $35 million extension to keep him through 2023. Now, the Vikings passed on Kentucky quarterback Will Levis with their first pick in the draft but they did draft Jaron Hall in the fifth round out of BYU. Nothing against Jaron Hall, but when you're taking a guy in the fifth, you're probably not expecting him to necessarily be the future. Kirk Cousins turns 35 this year. It just feels like this is a franchise that has peaked with him under center. Yeah, and I think this is where we get into this gray area when we start to talk about quarterbacks. You know, I love to take from uh, moving the sticks pod and trucks and trailers, and this Kirk Cousins, we realize, is a trailer. I mean, but however, if I just give you, so just allow me to give you the numbers. He's played 80 games. He's 46, 33, and 1. 60, I'm going to round up, 68% completion percentage, 100, and, excuse me, 20,934 yards, 153 touchdowns, and only 50 interceptions. If I told you you could have this from a quarterback in five years on your team, most teams would take that. But then when I attach the name to it, I think there'll be some reserve. And then this is when I start, when I was saying earlier, you have to start to look at your team holistically and where are we going? Now, personally, I don't know what the plan is, but again, I have to look at Justin Jefferson because I think that's an important piece. And what are you going to do with that player? If you plan on keeping that player, I think you have to give Kirk Cousins the, let's say, two-year extension and draft around that as well. We, a few years ago, they drafted uh, Kellen Mond, I believe, too, in the second round, which did not pan out. I don't even know if he's still on the team or not. So I think they have to be careful, and it's really predicated on what are you doing with Justin Jefferson? Because unlike the NBA or anything like that, these guys can actually get out of the team within their first year. Even if you franchise them, you only have them for one year, and then they walk. So you have to be very careful on what you want to do with the most talented person on your team and what do you see going forward if you want to win with this quarterback and this wide receiver and keep him in town and they also drafted Jordan Addison as well so they are flush with a lot of with 
wide receiver talent, but I think you have to have a real plan. And what are you looking at? And what do you want to do in the next two to three years with your team? Me personally, I think I give Kirk Cousins. I think you won't, you won't have to break the bank for him. You can actually probably come in under what everybody else is coming in under, but I give him the two year extension. Yeah. I think once again, it's all going to come down to the numbers and is Kirk Cousins willing to negotiate at a price that the Vikings are willing to pay. Cause I think at this point they realize, look, you're 35. We've kind of seen your best football. We've kind of seen what you can be at your peak with this team. Like I mentioned, and it hasn't been good enough. And that's with one of the best wide receivers in the game, like you mentioned, a Pro Bowl running back and pretty good team around him. Now, I know the defense took a huge step back, but he's had a pretty talented roster for several years here in Minnesota, and they just haven't been able to really do much with that other than make the playoffs and have some early exits. It's going to be really interesting. This is a really interesting franchise going into next season to kind of see what direction they go not only as a team, but what they're thinking behind the scenes and whether they want to start rebuilding this team. Very fascinating team for 2023. Now, speaking of the NFC North, one of the big questions going into this week was whether or not the Packers would pick up the fifth-year option for quarterback Jordan Love. Instead of picking up Love's option, they gave him a one-year extension. The deal includes $13.5 million in guaranteed money for 2024 and can be worth up to $22.5 million with incentives. If the Packers had picked up Love's fifth-year option, then the team would have been on the hook for tw- or just over $20 million fully guaranteed for 2024. They'll be saving over $7 million in guaranteed money with this new deal, and it offers them some protection or maybe a protection plan, so to speak, if Love struggles. What are your thoughts on how they maneuvered with this contract? It was really interesting because you don't see this very often, not going with the fifth-year option and negotiating this extension instead. I, I think on paper, this was a pretty savvy move by the Packers, but what are your thoughts, Alex? I agree. Smart. Brian Gutekunst, this was a smart deal. It, lowered, it saved them about $7.5 million, but it also, on the other side of that, I think it's not a bad play by Love as well, even though he may have given up seven seven and a half million in salary, excuse me, guaranteed salary. I think it shows I'm self-aware. I understand. And I'm going to bet on me and I'm dedicated and I'm going to show you. These are the small deals and things that happen that I think are okay when a guy wants to take a little bit less money to say that I believe in myself and I'm here to show you because if this pays off, He's in for a huge payday because I'm pretty sure they still would have kept him, even if they didn't want to restructure the deal. I believe we, I think we both believe they still would have kept him. But instead, this has now put him in position to be a stronger negotiator. Should he hit the marks, he will not only if he hits the marks, he gets 22.5, but then it also puts him probably perhaps in the top 10 of salaries next year if he does his job. So this, I think this is. A great gamble by Love and very smart by Gutekunst and overall holistically very smart by the team. And it work, I think it works for both sides. I agree. And they just haven't seen enough from Jordan Love. When they thought Aaron Rodgers was slowing down, he rattled off back-to-back MVP seasons. And I think it kind of delayed the process that they thought they had in place here with Jordan Love being the heir apparent at quarterback. Now here they are in a situation where they haven't really seen him play much. They don't really know for sure what they have with him. They wanted to be smart from the salary standpoint and not overpay for a guy that might not turn out. But it was an interesting play and a savvy move by the Packers. And I'm with you. I really like the way they handled this situation because if Love struggles, if it looks like he's not the guy, then they're not going to take too big of a hit on this deal. But it also allows Love to earn some money, especially with those incentives, if he does play at a high level. So I I liked this move for the most part for both sides, but especially the Packers. Now, another big contract worth noting, the New York Giants signed nose tackle Dexter Lawrence to a four-year, $90 million contract extension last week, making him the third highest paid defensive lineman in the NFL. Now, he's a former first-round pick out of Clemson, Last season was probably his best, and he really came on, Alex. What are your thoughts on them extending Dexter Lawrence and his future with the Giants? 
I like it. I love it. This guy is a stalwart in the middle. He was a critical piece to that defense holding up and being part of the driving force for them getting to the playoffs. And he's a great building block. Being a stalwart in the middle, and then with their first-round draft pick last year, Kayvon Thibodeau, once he came back from injury, you saw flashes and you saw impact because you had – this is a guy you have to double-team. Now, if you're telling me that you can put bookends around that, oh, you're going to have some problems. You're going to have some problems trying to block Thibodeau and whoever else they may end up on the other line, which also eventually helps the back end, the back end of the defense as well. So I think this is a great building block. Young guy, solid, high motor. Leader, I think this is a great piece to you to keep within your organization to build off of. Yeah, I like this move too, Alex. I think he deserved it. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the NFL right now. He is far from a household name, but I think he deserves to be because this guy is playing at such a high level. And like you said, just a building block, an anchor in the middle of that defense. Last season in a matchup with the Eagles, Bart Scott of ESPN said, Dexter Lawrence is the best defensive lineman in this game. That's pretty big praise considering they were going up against the Eagles with all the players they've got on that side of the ball. Charles Davis of Fox Sports said emphatically on a broadcast last season with the Giants, Dexter Lawrence has been a monster this year. I couldn't agree with him more. I really like this kid. You can make a strong case that he's the best nose tackle in the entire NFL right now, and the Giants just paid him like one. So, Alex, the end of the XFL season is right around the corner here, just prior to NFL teams' rookie minicamps. Now, that's by design, and it allows eligible XFL players to attend these offseason workouts. Several have already received invites from NFL teams. Brahma's quarterback, Jack Cohen, will attend minicamp for the New York Jets this weekend and the Seattle Seahawks. The following weekend, Brahma's kicker, John Parker Romo, is getting a tryout with the Lions. Brahma's running back, Jaquez Patrick, is going to try out with the Denver Broncos. Sea Dragons offensive tackle, Barry Wesley, is going to have a tryout with the Atlanta Falcons. Roughnecks linebacker, Trent Harris, is getting a workout with the Denver Broncos. Battlehawks running back, Mateo Durant, is reportedly going to be at minicamp with the New York Jets. There's several other players that I've seen reports that are going to get workouts, going to get tryouts with these NFL teams. Now, look, we don't cover a ton of XFL and USFL football on this podcast, but I'm a fan of these leagues. I really like these leagues. It's fun to watch. It's not only fun for diehard football fans like us to watch, but it gives a lot of guys the opportunity to live out their dreams and potentially play in the NFL after their college football days are over. I'm such a fan of what these leagues have done. There's so many talented players in this country nowadays, and it's awesome that more of them are getting to showcase what they can do on the field. We all benefit as fans getting to watch more football in the offseason. And I know I've enjoyed watching these games. I've enjoyed watching these leagues. I know, Alex, that you've been watching a little bit as well. I'm pulling for these leagues to not only survive going forward because it's fun to watch, but it's good for the game. Absolutely. And as we know, this is a league in which you, the only major sport in which you practice more than you play. And when you, even when you're practicing, but when you don't get that playing time, you don't get to see the potential in a lot of these guys, perhaps because they're just low on the depth chart. That doesn't mean they can't play. They're just low on the depth chart and they kind of don't make it to get a chance. And I think these leagues allow a lot of these players to one, continuously develop, two, and then get a chance to showcase what they can do that then earns them another invite to a mini camp and then another chance to. If, if they were drafted and they get a chance to show it or if they were undrafted and never got a chance to, to show it because they didn't get invited to the combine, but to show what type of talent that they do have. And you have these NFL coaches. So you're getting high level coaching from these players. And you're also going to get a connection where these NFL coaches can reach out. Excuse me. These former NFL coaches can reach out to these NFL teams and say, Hey, I have a guy I think you should check out. Or even if these, NFL teams are reaching out to these and the former NFL coaches saying, Hey, who do you have over there? We should invite and then getting a shot. And I like it a lot specifically for a lot of college players who may have gotten hurt, maybe didn't live up to the hype. 
and they still get a chance because obviously after those three to four or sometimes five years of college, it's over. And unless you go to the Canadian league and that's no disrespect to that league. However, here you get to be seen. It has heavy backing. It's well, man, it looks like it's well managed financially by the rock, <laughs> but I do love the way that it's set up and the opportunity is going to give some players that may have not gotten a chance at the higher level. Yeah, it's well said, Alex. And we talked about Isaiah Pacheco when we opened this episode, seventh round draft pick out of Rutgers. And to look at the impact he's made. We talked about Brock Purdy and being Mr. Irrelevant, a seventh round pick that went on to have a high level of success last year as a rookie. We see these teams in the NFL every year with a ton of undrafted free agents as well, making the roster, making an impact. We see it year in and year out. And it just shows, like I spoke about, the depth of talent in this country when it comes to football players is tremendous. And for like like we've said here, for these guys to be getting this opportunity, not only do we benefit as fans getting to watch, but these guys benefit getting more chances to live out their dreams. Time to jump back into the draft here. Offensive and defensive rookie of the year. I thought it'd be fun to make some picks here, Alex, and just take some shots at who we think are going to win these awards. Alex, why don't you kick it off? Who do you got for Offensive Rookie of the Year? Well, for my Offensive Rookie of the Year, I thought, and I said it earlier in pre-production, I said, I think B. John Robinson, it's just too low-hanging fruit. I'm going with Bryce Young. That is going to be my projected Rookie of the Year right now. Coming into an organization where he's going to get top-tier tutelage, a guy that learned under Andy Reid in that entire format and Frank Reich. You have receivers like Terrence Marshall, Jonathan Mingo, DJ Chark, add the veteran Adam Thielen on that team. I think he has a nice plethora of receivers that he can throw to, excuse me, including LaVishka Chanel. I always forget him, but he was, uh, he, he did flash when he was with Jacksonville, but so there is, there is some talent there as well. So I think he has a lot of big receivers at that, and that will allow him to utilize what we saw in Alabama, which was the sliding of the feet, the eyes down the field, accurate throws, and being able to learn within that system. And let's also not forget, they also brought in Miles Sanders as the running back as well. And they still have Chuba Hubbard. So, and they have Andy Dalton there to help bring Bryce along as well. In addition to that, Hayden Hurst too. So he has the receivers. Now, if this offensive line can gel and bring some things together, I look at Bryce Young at maybe perhaps having about maybe 3,500 yards. Actually, excuse me, I'll say 32 to 3,600 yards, about 22 touchdowns and maybe 12 interceptions, which I think would bring him to the brink of being offensive rookie of the year. I like that pick, Alex. We're both high on Bryce Young, a guy we've talked about during this draft process, the pre-draft process. He's our number one quarterback. We both think he was the best quarterback in this class. And I think he's in a pretty good situation in Carolina. I think he's going to have a nice roster around him. And I think the key, and you hit on this too, was the coaching having a former NFL quarterback as your head coach, but also Josh McCown is going to be his quarterback coach. And this is a guy who was an NFL vet at the quarterback position for a long time and was always talked about as a backup that was like a nether coach in the room. Now he's finally playing that role as a quarterback coach with a guy like Andy Dalton there too. We know the level of experience he has. This is going to be a really strong group and a really strong support system around him as far as developing his skills at the next level. So I think he's in a really good situation from that standpoint. It would not surprise me if he had a really nice rookie year and is in the mix. I'm totally with you on Bajan Robinson because that one feels like the easy no-brainer that a lot of people would take here. We're thinking a little outside the box here today with our picks. And I might be way outside the box. I might be all the way down the block here because I've t- I'm taking Anthony Richardson, quarterback for the Colts, as my offensive rookie of the year. I know PGF Nation, you guys are listening and saying, wait a second, isn't this the guy that you took fourth in your quarterback rankings? Isn't this the guy that you said is a boomer bust prospect, a developmental guy, a guy that has a long ways to go before he's ready to be in the NFL? Yes, I said all those things. Now, do I have real concerns about his ability to play quarterback in the NFL? Yes. 
Now, we talked about him being the ultimate boomer bust prospect, but as far as long-term, I'm not going to be betting on Anthony Richardson, but this is a short-term bet. I'm betting on Richardson short-term because entering a situation in Indy where he should get a chance to start early in the year because I think the Colts know that Gardner Minshew is not the future of that franchise. They drafted Richardson for a reason. This is a guy who needs game experience to develop. I think they know that, and they're going to want to get him out there starting as soon as possible. Now, new head coach Shane Steichen was the Eagles offensive coordinator with Jalen Hurts, and we saw how he he designed a running game and a running attack around his skill set. I expect the same thing for Richardson. Now, he's going to have some ugly games, and he's going to have some games that, quite frankly, just aren't very pretty. But with his ability to run, he's going to put up big numbers in an offense that's tailored around his legs. And with a guy like Jonathan Taylor as his running mate, big numbers, highlight plays, those are the kind of things that can win you Offensive Rookie of the Year. Vegas actually has him now tied with C.J. Stroud for the third best odds to take home the Offensive Rookie of the Year. He's kind of climbing that list in Vegas because I think people are starting to see the situation the same way I am. Anthony Richardson is going to be a guy that, like I said, with the numbers, the stats, especially on the ground, he's going to have some highlight-level plays to go with it. I've got him as my Rookie of the Year. Hey, PGF Nation, are you tired of the same old bland food at your tailgate parties? Well, let me tell you about my friends at the Tailgate Foodie, the seasoning and barbecue sauce company that specializes in elevating your tailgate and backyard cooking game. With their unique blend of spices and sauces, the Tailgate Foodie will take your taste buds on a flavor journey that you won't forget. Use code PINTGLASSFOODIE for 15% off your first order at the tailgatefoodie.com. Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hey there, PGF Nation. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone, plus five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord Grape and Lemon Lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. So next time you're cracking open a cold one and settling in for the big game, make sure you've got Liquid IV by your side. Trust me, your body will thank you. Yeah, I can see that as well, especially when you bring up what he can do on the ground with Shane Steichen there and what they did in Philadelphia. And now you have 
hopefully back to form Jonathan Taylor, you can implement some of the things that you did in Philadelphia here. They do have a decent offensive line. I'm not sure if it's as strong as it used to be, but they did retain Quentin Nelson. So you can probably perhaps start to implement some of the things, Anthony Richardson being bigger, stronger, and perhaps faster than Jalen Hurts. You can probably implement a lot of things with him and Jonathan Taylor, which you did in Philadelphia. And you're right. You, I think, I'm not sure if you mentioned it or not, but I know you kind of projected maybe you wouldn't be surprised if he got up to maybe anywhere between 1,000 to 1,200 yards rushing along with the passing. And that would definitely put him in the running for offensive rookie of the year if he can give that type of production. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm projecting here. I think he is going to be a guy that's going to put big numbers up on the ground and probably just enough in the passing game that when you look at his combined stats and what he's able to do, I think he's a guy that's going to be in the mix for this award. Now, I, like I said, I don't know if it's going to work long term. That That's still to be determined. Will he be able to develop like we saw Jalen Hurts develop as a passer? That's really the big question mark for him going forward. But in year one, I'm not sure he's going to have to be a great passer. So he's a player to watch for me. Defensive rookie of the year. This one feels really wide open. A lot of different places you could go here. Who do you got for your defensive rookie of the year, Alex? I was looking at Miles Murphy. Now, I like the one, the number one thing that stuck out for me, that's Miles Murphy that was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. The number one thing that stuck out for me with Miles Murphy was his motor. I love players that have a high motor. Even if you have to learn technique, the fact that you don't stop, that you you are a relentless rusher, you can be taught technique, but that motor to continuously want to go after that quarterback or chase down that running back is one of the things, driving things that always attracts me to players. The other thing and why I feel that he can have a great year and be defensive rookie of the year, DJ Reader and BJ Hill and Trey Hendrickson, that is the those are the other three people that will be on the defensive line with him. DJ Reader Starworth, BJ Hill strong at the strong at the point of attack, and we know what Trey Hendrickson is as a pass rusher. That means Miles Murphy will be seeing a lot of single blocking assignments, along with having Sam Hubbard to be able to rotate with him to keep him fresh. I think he can have a shot at maybe having anywhere between eight to 12 sacks during the year and having high impact with his, with the looks that he'll get with that defensive line. Yeah. I'm going to talk about miles Murphy here in a minute when we get into these AFC North draft grades, but he's a guy that I really like too. This was a deep class at the defensive end position at the edge position. My defensive rookie of the year. I admit this might be a long shot. But I'm taking Drew Sanders, the linebacker for the Broncos. Now, the reason it might be a long shot more than anything else is because I don't know if he's going to start week one. But this is a guy that I think is going to quickly climb the depth chart once they realize what kind of player they have. Because just like my offensive rookie of the year, and I mentioned a minute ago, it takes stats to win this award. And Drew Sanders is a guy that is a do-it-all linebacker. He can fill up the stat sheet. Since the year 2000, only two FBS players have totaled 95 tackles with at least 12 tackles for a loss, eight sacks, three forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery with an interception in a single season. He did that last year at Arkansas only other player that ever pulled that off since the year 2000 was Khalil Mack in 2013. Sanders was my top rated inside linebacker in this draft class. I love this kid's game. He was a five-star recruit who transferred from Alabama and became an All-American at Arkansas. A big-time player, a trait that Alex loves, high-motor guy, impact player, relentless energy. I think this is a guy that before the season's over, we're going to look back at and say, man, how did he fall that far in the draft? Because I think he's going to be an outstanding linebacker for the Broncos. Yeah, let me ask you, do you see Nick Bolton type energy from Drew Sanders? Bolton is a special player. Okay. I I don't know if he has that ceiling as far as is what Nick Bolton has actually surpassed my expectations coming out of the draft. He did I liked, for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. I liked Nick Bolton coming out of the draft. And when I broke down his tape, I thought he was a really good pick for the chiefs. He's developed into a player that's beyond what I thought his ceiling would be. Now 
Drew Sanders might just end up doing that as well. I don't know if he's as twitchy as Bolton, but he's a just a smart, hardworking, hard-nosed, and is just such a good all-around football player that I think it's it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. If he reaches anywhere close to where Nick Bolton is, he's going to be a tremendous player, though. Yeah, absolutely. Plays, as you know, in that 3-4 defense, that everything is predicated on those linebackers making the plays. So looking at that and knowing how strong that defensive backfield is, that puts that does put him in position. And overall, how strong, if that Denver defense can continue what they did last year, that does put him in position to be able to make a lot of plays in that defense. And he can shine, and he can be one of those guys that are in the running for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Let's jump into the AFC North here, Alex. Time to give out some grades. Why don't you kick it off? Cleveland Browns. Having no picks in the first or second round can really kill a team. But if you believe in Deshaun Watson's that guy, then that's your guy. But then what you do once you get that guy is you go and you get him a target. And I think they went into the offseason with the mindset of we're going to make this as easy as possible for Deshaun Watson to get back to that 2020 form that where he was out of control, even though they had a losing season, but he had great stats with the limited offensive weapons that he did. We know they already have Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones. They have the Bernard Anthony Schwartz, but then they went and got Cedric Tillman from Tennessee, Hendon Hooker's number one target at Tennessee. Big receiver, 6'3", 213 pounds. I like that pick number one because it's going to give him a big target. It's going to strengthen and make them probably, I would say, top 15, maybe teetering on top 10 or 12 wide receiver rooms in the league. And this is going to be up to Deshaun Watson saying, hey, we got you everything that you need. Go out there and deliver for us. He ran a 4-5-4-40. Now, one of the things that he does not do, he does not get off the line well. So the release is something he's going to have to work on. Thankfully, working it with one of the best route runners and one of the best receivers that have the footwork in the league and Amari Cooper. So I think working alongside somebody like him will immediately help him on his release and help him in route running as well. So I think that wide receiver room and what they've done for Deshaun Watson, along with still having Nick Chubb, is going to make this offense quite potent and hopefully they can put it all together. Siaka Aika, and you put him in the middle there and you hope he stands up and does what he can do to hold everything down. They did lose Jadavion Clowney. However, they still have Miles Garrett and we know the destruction that Miles Garrett can cause. So you know you're possibly depending where he lines up, you're going to be standing next to a player that's going to draw double teams, which gives you single coverage. And if you can beat your man, you will look like a guy on this field. Fourth round pick, excuse me, Dewan Jones from Ohio State. Now, if you want to talk big, I mean, this guy is huge. 6'8", 374 pounds. When he stretches his arms out, it's like trying to get around an aircraft carrier. But he's been mainly a run blocker and a road grader. Now, that does work well, excuse me, for what Cleveland does with a guy like Nick Chubb. He's going to need a lot of work in the pass protection and a lot of work with his foot because once you're that tall, that bend, those those quicker, faster defensive linemen can get around you a lot quicker. So he's going to have to work on what we call the bend. Fourth round pick, Isaiah McGuire, defensive end, Missouri. I like the pick. I think there's something there. But I think there's a lot to be desired here. But thankfully, I believe with somebody playing behind somebody like Miles Garrett, he can help and you can watch and you can learn. So I think that's a good, decent value pick. Maybe not. You won't maybe see any real protection for about maybe two to three years, but there is potential there. Five. I mean, I think we know about Dorian Thompson Robinson. I mean, with what we saw with Malik Willis, what we've seen with Lamar Jackson, we know with this could possibly be and then it also puts you in the same realm of quarterback in which you have in Deshaun Watson not the high caliber that Deshaun Watson was but in terms of the same skill set I believe Dorian's a lot faster and he has a decent arm I don't think the arm is as big as what we saw from Deshaun Watson so I think that I like that as a high I call that a high value pick in the fifth round overall I give them a C plus and it's mainly I like Cedric Tillman but there are, I have a question after Cedric Tillman, I have a question about every single player that they drafted after that. 
So with Cedric Tillman, that's really what I'm waiting it on. Cedric Tillman gives them a C plus, and then obviously these players can blow me, blow, blow everything that I said about the water. But just based upon me having a question about every pick after that, I can't give them the grade that they probably are looking for with that with this draft. Yeah, I understand that grade completely. I like Cedric Tillman. I think he's a pretty solid player, especially in the third round. I think that's nice value. And this is a guy who got a lot of red zone targets while at Tennessee. That's some place where the Browns really struggled last year was in the red zone. Big receiver, like you mentioned, possibly helps a weakness that they had. In the fifth round, taking Dorian Thompson Robinson, the quarterback out of UCLA, I think this was a good value pick in the standpoint of you're getting a guy with a legit skill set, a guy that throws a nice ball, pretty good athlete, can really move around well, can pick up yards with his legs. And the key thing that I really like about Dorian Thompson Robinson is the experience. This guy started a ton of games for UCLA. So he's coming in as a guy with a lot of experience, a lot of throws under his belt, He's read a lot of defenses, and I've always liked guys like that coming into the league. I think it brings value. Even if you're just looking at a guy as a potential backup, I I think it's a high upside pick for a guy in the fifth round, maybe even a little bit of an insurance policy if the Deshaun Watson deal kind of explodes in their face because last year, obviously, we did not see much return on that investment. So I like that pick in the fifth. But it's, it's hard to get super excited about this draft because they gave up so much draft capital in that deal. Obviously, they didn't have a ton of picks, no first or second round picks, obviously. In the sixth round, Luke Whipple, the center out of Ohio State. I'm going to have to push back a little bit, Alex, because I like this guy, and I'm a little surprised he actually went this late. He did not allow a single sack in his career at Ohio State. I thought he was a fourth or fifth round pick. I think he was a solid prospect. In the sixth, I think he's actually great value. That actually might be one of their better picks, in my opinion. But I do agree with you from the overall class. I thought they took some positions of need. And I think a lot of these guys are solid picks, but I don't really love anything they did in this draft. Even with the limited draft capital, I understand that grade completely. All right, so I've got the Cincinnati Bengals. Their first round pick with the 28th pick, they took Miles Murphy defensive end out of Clemson. We just talked about this guy a minute ago, Alex's pick for defensive rookie of the year. And I can see why this is a former five-star recruit. He has the ability to win on the edge. He has the strength to anchor versus the run. He's big, long, athletic. And I think he's a guy who's still scraping the surface of what he can be at the next level. I think he's a really solid player. I'm a little surprised here that they went defensive end with this pick, even though I like the pick and I like Miles Murphy. I just look at their draft and I think they had some holes at tight end, safety, cornerback, and there was some really good ones still on the board. So at 28, I was a little surprised they went with Miles Murphy. I'm guessing they just saw a guy who had too much value. They probably didn't expect him to be there at 28. But this is a guy that I think is going to be a factor as a pass rusher, as an edge defender. I think he's going to factor into that team's pass rush rotation like Alex spoke about. And I think he's going to be a really solid pick for them. In the second round with the 60th overall pick, they took DJ Turner, the cornerback from Michigan. I love this pick for the Bengals. They needed help at cornerback, and they get a guy who was really most people thought could go late first, early second. They get him at the 60th pick. I saw several mock drafts leading up to the draft where he was a late first pick. A lot of guys thought he had first-round talent, and it's because he's an explosive athlete. He ran a 426 40-yard dash at the Combine. He was a consistent playmaker on the outside for Michigan. He's almost never out of position when you watch his tape. He has elite change of direction quickness. I'm really high on DJ Turner, and I am shocked at the value they got where they got him in this draft. In the third round, they took Jordan Battle, the safety from Alabama with the 95th pick. 
He's got NFL size. He was a three-year starter at Alabama. He's versatile. He's an intelligent player in that defensive backfield, puts himself in a good position consistently. He had six career interceptions, really, really solid player, and another guy that I think is great value at a position of need for safety for the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, I also like Chase Brown, their fifth-round running back from Illinois. They got him with the 163rd pick, another really nice value pick. This is a guy who had 100-plus yards rushing in nine consecutive games last year, and he has 4.43 40-yard dash speed. I think this was a great value. I was a little surprised that he was in the fifth. Just a really solid running back and a guy that I think is going to be in the rotation in that backfield day one. Overall, when I when I look at this Bengals draft, this was a great draft by the Bengals. And the main reason why is because I just thought they found value throughout this entire draft. They hit on defensive positions of need. We know that was the side of the ball that they really need to address. They hammered it home, especially with those early picks. And like I said, I thought some of their later picks, especially the Chase Brown pick, was a great pick as well. I'm giving them an A, Alex. I think this was a great draft by the Bengals. I, I like what the Bengals did. They they did go for what they needed. And I think what you pointed out, I, I spoke on Miles Murphy, so I'll kind of move past him. And I think you gave a great wrap up for what we think about him. But I'll speak about what they did draft in second and third rounds in DJ Turner and Jordan Battle. I mean, you lose Jesse Bates, you lose, you lose Von Bell, and regardless of what anyone thinks about Eli Apple, you have basically lost you know, three-fourths of your defensive starting defensive backfield. So you had to, I know there's a lot of talk about, oh, drafting for need, sometimes you make the wrong pick. Well, no, this wasn't, even though they drafted for need, no, they had to do this because they did not pick up any real true free agents. They needed to address this. And I think the first thing they did was by drafting Miles Murphy, they said, you know what, we're going to strengthen the pass rush to help out the defensive backfield. And then we're going to address the defensive backfield with DJ Turner and Jordan in battle as well. Two players that I like, DJ Turner being the one that I like the most, that can that'll have a chance because that pass rush is going to be a problem for other teams in this in the division, that they'll be able to be coached up hopefully and be able to learn while they're on the field. Uh, Char- Charlie, excuse me, Charlie Jones, I like him as a slot, which is where I project him and where he's going to be. So I'm interested to see how that works with Tyler Boyd because Tyler Boyd is one of the better slots in the in this league. So I believe that's where we'll see Charlie Jones at probably coming up in the future. But he'll probably have to wait in the wings a little while because Tyler Boyd is very, very one of the top echelon slots that we have in this league. So I do like that. And I agree. You know what? The A grade, I agree because I think they addressed each position and I like again I like the way they said you know what there probably wasn't a cornerback there at 29 that they felt that they could take so they said you know what we'll help out we'll indirectly help out the defensive backfield by drafting another pass rusher to all the points that I said earlier why I think this guy can be a potential of a defensive rookie of the year and then address it with DJ Turner and Jordan Battle at the cornerback and respectively at the safety position as well. Two positions of need. These guys will be day one starters, so they will get a lot of snaps. It may look shaky in the beginning, depending upon how it looks, but I am looking at these two guys that by the end of the season, they will be within the fold, and Cincinnati will be somewhere close to the AFC Championship game, if not in it again. The Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers are the consummate professional organization, period. Always. They rarely make mistakes there. Even if they make a mistake, they still always end up getting some high production out of every single player that they get for the most part, at least on the top end part of the draft. And then they move on from players that they don't think fit what they're trying to do. And they have great coaching. So anybody that comes into this organization is going to get great coaching. I look at it as it's now upon the player to then project what they're expecting from that respective player. So with that being said, first round pick, Broderick Jones. We talked about it earlier with Bill Belichick with the proverbial middle finger to the Jets and them getting some thought the second best left tackle in the game in Georgia. I mean, I watched this guy when he is running out on toss plays. He runs out on toss plays with intention. 
So get out of the way when he's coming through. I mean, 6'5", 311 pounds, fluid. We all know what the Georgia players are, what those Georgia players were, rather, at this uh, with coming back off back-to-back championship seasons. I like this pick. We knew that the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line was the biggest issue coming into the offseason. They addressed it a little bit in free agency, but now they have a stalwart that I believe at, at left tackle or right tackle, whether they see him fitting in. And I would be looking for a big year from their running back because they have a great running back. I just think they haven't had the offensive line in place to really pull off what needed to be done. And then we get to Joey Porter Jr. I mean, this is a legacy draft pick, if you ask me. We all know who his father is, Joey Porter what he did for the Steelers, how he came in, how he practiced, how he played, the intensity that he played with. was very surprised that he ended up here in the second round, but this is great value in the second round. The length, let's just talk about the length alone. 6'3", 193 pounds. I mean, this is a big guy. So that means when you put that ball up, he's going to be able to guard a lot of your bigger receivers. And what he makes, what he lacks in terms of actual speed, he makes up in height and awareness. High IQ starter. I think this guy is a player that will slide right in and start on day on day one. Keanu Benton, Wisconsin, defensive tackle. Stallworth, I like Wisconsin play. I like Wisconsin defensive line players, and I like their offensive line players. These guys, they may not jump out and be stars, but these guys are always in position, always hardworking, and very coachable for the most part. So I like this pick here. They needed to go back in as Cam Hayward is getting long in the as Cam Hayward is getting long in the tooth in that three four defense. They did pick up Larry Oben, excuse me, Larry Oben Joby. But I think Keanu Benton will be a day one starter. If not, he will have he will still be getting a lot of snaps in this defense and learn to play in that vaunted three four defense, stalwart defense that the Steelers have run for years. Now Darnell Washington, their third round pick, tight end, six seven. 264 pounds. Now, I do not like what I like to call his hip movements. He doesn't look like he can dance, if that makes sense. If we put put him in the dance competition, I don't expect him to come in first place. But given his size, weight, height, the measurables, this is a big target. And when you talk about putting him on one end, putting Fryermuth on the other end with this revamped offensive line and then running the ball, this guy is going to look like a great player in that offense. And then if they decide to stay in 21 offense and put, pull him out as a receiver, I mean, he's going to be like a rebounder, boxing out somebody, just swallowing catches. In the fourth round, I like Nick Herbig. I'm not sure where he fits per se, but I know that this was a position of need. Whether he plays inside linebacker or outside linebacker, they did not really address the linebacker situation. I can probably say this is the first time that the Steelers are kind of looking around and searching for linebackers. Perhaps Nick Herbert can play himself into a position because I think the opportunity is there. So overall, I like what the Steelers did, and I am waiting it heavy again on the first round, however. But when you look at the first, second, third, fourth rounds, I have to give them an A on what they did because I believe they addressed everything that they needed. I am kind of surprised they did not take, actually, you know what? I'm going to drop that down to an A minus only because I'm surprised they did not take an inside linebacker. And I believe that is something they really truly need to address since they did not address it in free agency. I thought that was something that they needed to address perhaps in the first three in the first three rounds. And that's not saying taking Keanu Benton is a bad is bad, but I just thought that, that was more of a position of need that they needed to look into given how their defense is set up. So I'll give them, I'm going to drop them from an A to an A minus because I do like all of the picks all the way through to the fourth round. This is typically a team that has traditionally over the years built through the draft and hit on a lot of draft picks over the years. It looks like another typical Steelers draft because I'm with you. I really like the players they drafted in this class Broderick Jones offensive tackle in the first round we talked about that at the start of the show the move with the Patriots the Steelers rarely move up in the draft now granted it was only a couple spots but they clearly wanted this guy and they got him because he wasn't going to be there much longer so that was a savvy move Joey Porter Jr. in the second round 
both of us were surprised that he was there. We both thought he was a first-round pick, so I think that's good value at the start of the second. My favorite pick by far, though, Darnell Washington, the tight end out of Georgia. This guy is a freak show athlete. I mean, with the combination of size, strength, and athletic ability is just ridiculous. I think he's going to be a great blocker in the run game, and I think he's going to be a big-time weapon in the passing game. I think the Steelers are going to live in 12 personnel with him and Pat Fryermuth as two tight end sets. It's going to be really tough to stop with these guys on the field, and it gives their young quarterback another big target to throw to. I thought that was a home run pick. I can't believe he was available to them in the third round another home run Steelers draft. So I'm with you. I think AA minus is, is more than fair. And this division is starting to really stack up here now that I'm looking at it because we've got some teams in the AFC North that just crushed this draft. And it continues with the Baltimore Ravens first round pick, the 22nd overall pick. They took Zay Flowers, the wide receiver out of Boston College. He was on my list of favorite players in this draft. Speed, toughness, hands. The Ravens needed help at wide receiver. Yeah, they went and got Odell Beckham Jr. I get that, but it's a one-year deal. He's an older player with injury history. They needed to get younger at the position. They needed an explosive playmaker. Zay Flowers fits that need perfectly. Ravens receivers caught only seven touchdowns last season. They desperately had to get more explosive on the outside. He can play out of the slot. He can line up outside. He breaks tackles and has the speed to run past defensive backs. The best wide receiver in this draft at 22, that's just a steal in a typical Ravens pick. Now, in the third round, they took linebacker Trenton Simpson out of Clemson, a guy that I don't think we've gotten a chance to talk about on this podcast, but I really like his game. Starting experience at inside and outside linebacker, although he did play inside last season, three-down linebacker who gets downhill versus the run, but he's athletic and fast enough to cover tight ends over the middle, big-time speed, 4.440-yard dash, explosive blitzer, a guy that has the type of skill set that they can use him as a spy on mobile quarterbacks. Now, he has just, I would say, average play recognition. It's probably the big red flag for him, and he gets out of position a little bit at times, but when you look at the skill set, it's all there. I'm surprised he went this late. I thought he was an early second round guy to get him in the third, I think was great value by the Ravens. Now, Patrick Queen hasn't quite lived up to his draft pick being taken in the first round back in 2020. I don't think he's developed into the player that they thought he would at this point in his career. I think Simpson could be his replacement. Now, they took three Pac-12 players in rounds five, six, and seven. And being a West Coast guy, I'm pretty familiar with all these guys. Cornerback Caillou Blue Kelly is a guy out of Stanford that I thought would go earlier than he did. Good player, solid player that late in the draft. The offensive tackle they took from Oregon is thick, athletic. He's powerful. His Just listen to the, the, this combination here. He's 6'5", 317 pounds, 34 and a half inch arms with an 82, almost 83 inch wingspan. That doesn't sound like a typical sixth round pick. So you've got a guy with tremendous combination of size and athletic ability in the sixth round. It just feels like he could end up being a steal in this draft. But a guy that I think is maybe even a bigger steal, they got in the seventh round, Andrew Voorhees, the guard out of USC. Now, he had a recent knee injury. If it wasn't for that knee injury, I think there's a good chance that this guy was a second or maybe third round pick. He's that good of a player. And another just home run steal in the seventh. You redshirt him essentially his rookie year. Hopes, hope that he comes back healthy in year two. And you might just have found a great player late in this draft. Typical Ravens here. They just found value in every single round that they picked in. They let the board come to them. They never reached for guys. 
It's something that they've done for years. They never reach for guys. They always find the players who fit their needs, who fit their system, who fit their culture. A plus for the Ravens. Wow. Our first A plus of the off, excuse me, for the draft. Okay. Let me see if I believe that. Let me see if I match that with you. Zay Flowers, we knew they needed that right out the gate. I know there are a lot of people saying, well, it's another small receiver similar to Hollywood Brown. This isn't Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown was not the route runner. Hollywood Brown did not have the hands that Zay Flowers does. He did have the speed. However, he's not the route runner or player that Zay Flowers is. So let's just put that to bed right now. Love that pick along with OBJ and the rest of that receiving core that takes them out of the cellar of the wide receiver room and probably puts them hopefully in that top 15 and we get to see what Lamar does. Trent Simpson, you're absolutely right. This is a guy that we did not talk about, but that 4-4-3 speed, and we know that they're not going to be keeping Patrick uh, Patrick Queen going forward. They already signed Roquan Smith, so that gives him an opportunity to sit behind those two players, learn, and then as typical Raven style, be able to slide right in when Patrick Green, when Patrick, excuse me, Patrick Queen moves on next year. So I love that pick as well in the third round. Fourth round, Tavius Robinson, the Ole Miss, huge player. I wonder if they would ever consider perhaps putting him on the line, maybe giving putting maybe about 10 pounds on him and maybe trying him on the line as well. If not, I get a lot of, if you recall, Matthew Judon, tall linebacker, but then can slide right into the outside linebacker. They will train them up. Eric DaCosta, Ozzie Newsom. I mean, this is what they do. You know, similar to the Steelers and infrastructure, they have great infrastructure and all they do is rotate what they do best, which are these defensive players. So even if it's a player that I know Brad like, though the, those two organizations seem to always never miss on what they're doing, especially at that linebacker position. Now with the fifth, sixth, and seventh, you're absolutely right. I wasn't familiar with the sixth and seventh, but Kai Blue Kelly, I like his size. I liked his tape. And I like the fact that he's going to be going into a defensive backfield that has Kyle Hamilton, Maurice Williams, and Marlon Humphrey. You brought up <laughs> Maliisa Amuve Lalalu. I want to bring up something that I didn't notice until you started talking about his measurables. You talked about his size, 6'6", 322, massive arms, wingspan. Do you know who he will more than likely be, be playing behind? Someone who is 6'6", 320 pounds, and a stalwart, not great, but very solid, Morgan Moses. So you have now have a player in front of you who rarely misses games, is always where he's supposed to be, a very solid, and I emphasize solid, right tackle that you get to learn that is your size that can help bring you along. In terms of Andrew Voorhees, not too familiar with him, but I'll take your word on it. And with that being said, so you know what? I actually concur. This is an A-plus draft. Yeah, and it looks like this might just be an A-plus division because, man, it's going to be tough. Going forward, we've got several division draft grades coming up, guys. But I'm telling you right now, this division is going to be tough to beat with the draft grades because three of these teams hit their drafts completely out of the park. Maybe the deepest division in the NFL just got deeper but that is going to do it for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Before we go, I want to give a shout out to our friends at the Tailgate Foodie for sponsoring today's episode. Check them out at thetailgatefoodie.com. I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.